Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Divine Invasion by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, I thank you that you are truly in this place. And so, Father, I ask that we would have spiritual eyes to see you this morning and and spiritual ears to hear you. The entrance of your word brings light. And so I pray that your word would enter each one of us today in your wonderful and glorious name. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, you'd like to meet me. Book of Exodus will start uh, this morning in chapter 2 and work our way into chapter 3. Uh, for those that were with us last week, we began our journey with the people of God, uh, where we met them in what appeared to be like dark days. It appeared as though all the promises, the previous promises of God, uh, they were under threat. God had made many promises to Abraham uh, and to his people, and it looked like from the outside looking in, it looked like all of those were under threat. It looked like Egypt would wipe out God's people and that uh, all the promises would be Vanquished, but what we saw last week was the more that Egypt intensified the persecution, the more they multiplied. We saw the hand of God, and and we saw the hand of God on the life of a man. We're going to uh, begin and continue his journey this morning, the men of Moses. And just in the beginning of his life, you could sum up his testimony with the words, "It just so happened." <laughs> How many of us in this room this morning, uh, if we went back over our testimony, we would have a similar story? Well, it just so happened. Well, for Moses, it just so happened that he was placed in a basket. In fact, that word for basket there is only used in the Bible in one other place, and it's used in exactly the same context, but it describes Noah's ark. It's like Moses' mum had placed him in an ark on the Nile. And we know that it just so happened that uh, Pharaoh's daughter had come down to bathe at that particular time. And it just so happened that uh, he, she heard the cry of a little Hebrew boy just so happened that she would take pity on that Hebrew boy, just so happened that the mum who had released that little boy to the Nile, just so happened that she would not only nurse her son in Pharaoh's house, but they would pay her to do so. The, The wonderful hand of God and how many of us have a story that looks a lot like it just so happened. That's the story of Moses. And today I want to talk about what can only be described as a divine invasion. God is going to divinely invade the life of one man and we're going we're to get a front row seat as that happens. But just a bit, of a, a bit of a where we're going with all of this, God's going to invade his people. Yes. And God's going to invade a very wicked and evil empire in Egypt. And by invade, I mean he's going to get right up in their face. He's going to cross the borders. You're not going to be able to pass off this God because he's going to, as we are going to see today, he's going to make himself known. God desires to make himself known to each one of us as individuals today. And, And as we go through the story of Egypt, we will see God's mighty hand, how he works mightily in Egypt and brings judgment. And there's many reasons why God moves mightily in judgment. But this week, a revelation dawned on me. uh, uh, The greatest reason, if you have a look at all of their statues, and if you have a look at all of their literature, 
They worshipped cats. They had it coming, Ross. Uh, I remember, uh, I I don't go to the movies a whole lot, uh, simply because there's nothing, a whole lot there that interests me. I remember when my boys were young, we went to watch a movie, uh, Shrek, but this time we got to watch it in 3D. Anybody ever watch the 3D movie? Isn't it amazing how uh, you put those glasses on and everything is like right up in your face? It's, uh, and, and for an experiment, I thought, you know what, I'm going to take the glasses off. So I took the glasses off and I'm looking at the screen and everything seems very distant. Uh, everything is a, a long way away. All the images on the screen are blurry uh, and you can't, you kind of know the storyline, but you can't kind of make out what's going on. Then you put the glasses on and Shrek's like, right here. It's like, whoa, personal space issues, right? It's amazing what those 3D glasses do. And, and God desires to give every one of us a set of 3D glasses because I believe the greatest detriment to the church of Jesus Christ is we view God two-dimensionally. That he's distant and he's blurry. But that's not the God of the Bible. And it's not the God of Moses. We're going to pick up Moses' story this morning in in verse 11 of chapter 2. And what we're going to see is that God is is wonderfully positioning Moses. We're going to see what Moses does to that. And, and Amber, I really believe that as you go to America, God's positioning you. Yes. Yes. It's not all about horses, although that's a wonderful thing to go to America for. I really believe this is that God would have you say he's positioning you. Yes. And there's many other people in this room that God is positioning. Moses is in the house of Pharaoh. I think there's a bit of rat bag in God, right? That he puts the deliverer of Israel in Moses' house and says, take care of my deliverer. <laughs> Bring him up, raise him. Did I say Pharaoh's house? Oh, did I? Well, it is his house. Verse 11, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Moses, we're going to see, knows I've been placed here. He knows I've been positioned. He, he knows uh, that God has his hand uh, on his life and now he begins to take matters into his own hands. We see that for those that were with us last Sunday night, uh, God has a plan, God has a purpose, but he also has his timing. Verse 12, uh, uh, he looked this way and that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And, and when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Things aren't going according to Moses' plan right now. Moses knows God's positioned me. I've been educated in the house of Pharaoh. God's placed me here to be the deliverer of my people. I'm in the right position at the right place at the right time, according to Moses. But right off the bat, we learn a very, uh, well, probably a few very valuable lessons. Uh, Lesson number one, you can get out of position when you rush God's timing. 
And that's what happens with Moses here. He, he rushes God's timing and doesn't wait for him. But there's an enormous lesson for us as individuals today. And there's a huge lesson for every single person uh, in the church of Jesus Christ. And that is, you can't do God's work the world's ways. God will use Moses, yes, but God will deliver his people. And God will do it his way. So Moses has found out, right? Surely everybody knows, and if we keep reading on, then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. You couldn't be any further from where God had positioned him, but it just turns out that Moses is going to end up to be the place right where God wants him. But he's at the back of nowhere, and and, uh, whilst... Moses would probably picture many people today in the church. Moses thinks, I've had my chance and I've blown it. I don't know if that's anybody else in the room today. Maybe you think I'm too old. Maybe you think I had my chance, but I've blown it. I took matters into my own hands. I rushed God's timing. I've been hurt. And maybe that's you today. Maybe maybe you identify with Moses. You know what? I'm going to go hide out the back of the, the desert somewhere. It doesn't mean you don't love God. It doesn't mean you've forgotten God. It doesn't mean you're out of relationship with God. But you want to go out the back of the desert somewhere and just sit away and do your time. But God will not Leave his man there. What we find out is that Moses stands up for the daughters of a a priest by the name of Jethro or Rule. You can read that here, verse 19. It says that Egyptian delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds. The shepherds come and hassle his seven daughters. Uh, Jethro, what do we know about Jethro? He's got seven daughters. He knows how to fight, right? (laughs) Thank you. An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the, the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And these are really frightening words today, but I wonder how many would identify with this. Verse 21, and it says, and Moses was content. Moses was content to dwell with the man and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. We're going to catch up with her a little bit later on. Uh, she's not out of the story just yet. Verse 22, she gave birth to a son and called his name Gershom. It's interesting what they call the name of the son here, Gershom. It says, for I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. What's Moses saying? Here I am in the back of the desert. <laughs> What's Moses saying? I'm not where I'm supposed to be. This is, this is not where I'm supposed to be. This is not where God's got me. He recognised I'm a foreigner in a foreign land. I'm not supposed to be here. What I love about God is that he doesn't leave us there. What I love about God is it seems like it's all over for Moses, right? How how can he go back to Egypt? He goes back to Egypt, they're going to try and kill him, right? We've all seen the movies, the Prince of Egypt. We we, we know what's going on here, right? We we know what Moses faces if he goes back to Egypt. and, And if you were Moses, wouldn't you be thinking the same thing? Wouldn't you be standing here right now thinking, how on earth can God bring all of this about? There's about to be an invasion. God's about to get right up in Moses' space. 
I'll finish off chapter 2 with these words, and I think these words may even be applicable to some of us here today. These are Sometimes these are hard words to hear, but verse 23 says that during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Can anybody hear the desperation in that phrase? Can anybody hear the desperation in the cry of the people of God? And sometimes, although God doesn't cause suffering, he uses that, that we would cry out to him, that we would become desperate. Uh, I, I call it revival, call it rest, reformation, call it whatever you want. People are trying to flum up revivals and everything else, but God is ready to move in power. You can label it however you want, but he is waiting for the church to become desperate. He's waiting for us to reach this point right here and we will get to that point. God will make it clear he wants his people on their knees crying out in desperation. You go over the past 2,000 years, you look at every major move of God, it has always been predicated by a desperation and a hunger amongst his people, crying out that God would move. When we come to the end of ourselves, when we've reached the end of our programs, when we've reached the end of our ways, when we get like Moses and we realise we can't do God's work in the world's ways. It doesn't mean we're not practical. It doesn't mean we're not wise. It just means we can't do things the way the world does. Times of suffering, times of hardship, they, uh, God uses those that we would cling to him, that we would, uh, it clarifies our identity and who we are and it makes us increase our longing for him. Are you desperate for him this morning? Have a look at the condition of the people of God. We come to verse three, uh, chapter 3, sorry, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, just, just going about his business, right? the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. That's, that's a series of sermons for a little bit later on again. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of a fire out of the midst of a bush. Uh, the description of this bush, I, I want that to be the description of my life. Completely and utterly ablaze, but yet not consumed. That's what grabs Moses' attention. You see, it's, it's not unlike a bush to spontaneously combust in the Middle East. For these things to happen, it happens all the time. But for a bush to be ablaze but yet not consumed, now that's miraculous. Notice that Moses is out the back of the desert. Notice who the first one is to move. I love the words of A.W. Tozer. He says, God is always previous. God is always the initiator. If you're sitting here this morning thinking to yourself, how is it that I can live in love towards everyone? Uh, You can sum love up this way. God's love looks like this. It always takes the initiative. It's always the first one to move. It's always the first one to say sorry. It's always the first one to make a move towards another person. And God is always previous. We, yes, we are saved, but God moved on our hearts first. He drew us to himself. And uh, there is that divine drawing uh, for the Calvinists here this morning. It's not a dragging. It's a drawing. It's, a, it, it's drawing you into relationship with him. That's what that word means. It means a divine courtship, that God is longing to court your hearts. But he's always the first one to move. God is always previous. We, we might draw close to God, but it's God that places the urges in our heart that we must act upon. And, and so I have a question this morning. 
Uh, verse 2, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning and yet it was not consumed. There is one thing this morning that we're about to get to. One thing that could revolutionize your relationship with God. One thing that you can do today. One thing that will spearhead you to a deeper, more profound relationship with God. We're about to get there. But how often is God lighting bushes in our lives and we're walking straight past them? How often is it that God goes to extraordinary lengths to get our attention and we're oblivious to it? How gracious is he that he goes out of his way to even try and get our attention? I believe God's lighting bushes in this room. In the hearts and lives of individuals in this room, I believe God is lighting bushes and asking you to do one thing this morning. The one thing that Moses does that I urge every person in this room to do. Let's read it as as we go along. Verse 3, and Moses said, I will turn aside. What is stopping you today turning aside? Uh, That word turn aside isn't deeply profound in the Hebrew at all. It means to alter one's natural course. Whatever course you're on right now, what is stopping you from turning aside? What is stopping you from giving God the attention that he deserves and that is due to him? What is stopping you from turning aside to see what it is that God has for you? And how many of us Go on, oblivious. You see, Moses is right on the mountain of God and oblivious of where he is. And maybe this morning you're all around God but completely oblivious of where you are. Notice what happens when Moses makes a decision. I think the greatest commentary on this passage, starting in chapter 2, coming to where we are, I think the greatest commentary on this is actually found in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. What we find in that commentary is that the writer to the Hebrews, who's summing up the heroes of faith and the life that they lived, and summing up what's going on with Moses here, he says that Moses reaches a point where he no longer decided, he says, you know what, I choose to suffer reproach, it says. I, I, I choose, it says Moses chose, he made a decision that he would suffer the shame and the reproach of the Hebrew people rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of the, the household of Egypt. You see, Moses was in Egypt, but not of Egypt. I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. God doesn't say a word until Moses turns aside. Maybe you're sitting here this morning going, you know, it's a long time since I've felt or or really known God speaking to me and revealing himself to me. You could sum the book of Exodus up with this phrase, the God who makes himself known. And he begins that right here, right now. You see, the pattern, God's pattern hasn't changed in many, many years. God makes himself known to an individual. He makes himself known to a group of people. He makes himself known to the world. God still wants to do that today, but it starts with every individual in this room. It starts with the decision right now. We, we all pray for it, don't we? We get into prayer meetings and we're praying for revival. We're praying for God to move. We're praying for God to move in power in Brisbane. I tell you, Brisbane needs us. Right now, uh, forget Australia for a moment. Brisbane needs the people of God to stand up. People, uh, Brisbane needs us as the people of God to turn aside 
Because God wants to make himself known to you and he wants to use you to make him known out there. The pattern is the same. If you want revival, call it whatever you want. But if you want revival out there, it starts in your prayer closet. When the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called to him out of the bush. He says, Moses, Moses, whenever God repeats, whenever there's a repetition in scripture, something very urgent and something very important is about to be said. God has a repetition. It's not like, hey, Moses. It's like, Moses, Moses. It's not like the casual Tasmanian, hey, dude, how you going? It's kind of like, Moses, oi. I've got something very important I need to show you. God's about to reveal himself to Moses. Heads up before we get there. There's two enormous things that Moses is about to see. God's about to put those 3D glasses on. And this distant God, this God that seems a million miles away from Moses right now, is about to get right up in his face. And Moses is about to see two things that are astounding about God. Two very profound, uh, deeply scientific-sounding words, but they have enormous, simple practicality for us. Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Do you know that's all you have to say? God's waiting for every person in this room to say, here I am. God's waiting for you to get into your prayer closet, open the Bible, and just say, here I am. What what do you want to say to me? Uh, God's waiting for every one of us as individuals to say, here I am, use me. Use me to speak to the guy that serves my coffee. Yes, he's weird. Yes, he's got tattoos. Yes, he's got more earrings than the jewellery shop. But we know God loves him and we want you to use us to speak to him. God's waiting for you to say, here I am. Here I am for you to use me in my workplace. It's interesting that God lights a bush and then he says to Moses, do not come near. Wow, what? Moses, call, God calls to Moses out of the bush and he says, do not come near. And we learn one enormous, we, we have to grab this enormous profound truth about God is that he is uh, what theologians like to call, it's his transcendence. What that means is that God is above us. And I'm not talking above us in kilometres, miles or light years. That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, The best way to describe this is God is other than us. This is like dogs. They're they're other than cats. (laughs) In so many glorious ways. But, But this is... The reason Moses can't come near is because God is holy, holy, holy. I think we as the church have forgotten... The holiness of God. Holiness is not a standard that God lives up to. (laughs) God is the standard. God says to Moses, do not come near. Take off your sandals. Take the sandals off your feet uh, for the place on which you stand is holy ground. And the ground that you're standing on is holy. Not because of anything to do with it, but because of the person who's there. See, God is transcendent. He is is other than us. You can't come near because if you come near, you will be consumed, Moses. How many of us know that this is not how it ends? How many of us know that Moses will come near? How many of us know that God will push him into the cleft of the rock, that his glory may pass by? 
Here's a real scary prayer. Start praying this prayer. Moses prayed it. God answered it. Pray this prayer. Show me your glory. Pray that prayer and see what God does. That's a scary prayer. God, show me your glory. Uh, I remember the first job I ever worked in was in radiators. And uh, we we used to use a lot of solder. And uh, the solder that the supplier we got the solder from... Uh, he went out of business, he went broke, and uh, we couldn't get any solder. And I got, I mean, we go through masses of kilograms of this every day. And so I've gone into the old fella, old fella because you're like 80 or something. I went and said, look, Trevor, we've got no solder and I can't get any. I said, I can't get any for at least two weeks. I don't know what we're going to do. And he said, I've got an answer. And so he says, I've got all this solder out in the shed. Now, Noah must have gave it to him when he got off the ark, right? Because that's how long this, this solder had been in the shed. And for those that know anything about soldering and, and so forth and metal fabrication, uh, you can't solder unless things are enormously clean, right? So uh, the only way we could use this solder was to heat it up in this massive pot. And what happens is the minute you heat solder, all the impurities rise to the surface. And you just get a thin piece of metal and scrape it off the top. But we had this enormous uh, like metal pot with all this solder that was boiling away constantly, massively, massively hot. And one of the guys that was working there, uh, uh, common sense, by the way, isn't as common as you might think it is, uh, decided that he was going to have a drink. And as he brought his bottle down, the water fell into the solder pot. How many people know there was an explosion? But why was there an explosion? Because cold water and solder are completely incompatible. And what God's saying to Moses is, my holiness and your sinful condition are so incompatible that if you come near, you're going, there's going to be an explosion. God is holy, holy, holy. Have a look at what happens now. God reveals who he is to Moses And Moses does something. And this is not unprecedented. We're going to see this in Scripture. Verse 6, and he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when God reveals who he is, when God makes himself known to Moses, Moses, it says, hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. I'm sorry, friends, but when you read phrases like that, it's hard to bear comments like me and the old man upstairs were just hanging out the other day. It's hard to fathom people that say, you know, I talk to God like they were talking to the guy at the milk bar when they got their morning paper. What we see in scripture is that when God makes himself known, this is normally the result. That the more God reveals himself, the more God makes himself known, we are overcome with his awesome presence and holiness to such a point. We fall down. Uh, let's take some other instances. Let, let's, let's, let's find some other instances, shall we? Uh, some disciples are in a boat fishing. They've been fishing all night. <laughs> like my boys, fish all night and catch nothing, right? They've been fishing all night. They catch nothing. Jesus comes up to them and says, you know what? Put the net on the other side of the boat. Peter goes, have you lost your marbles? We've been fishing all night. But then Peter says, you know what? Because you say so. I'll let the net down on the other side. They haul in so much fish, it's about to swamp the boat. That's when I go fishing. (laughs) And although there's more than one disciple in the boat, one man, Peter, he got a revelation of who Jesus was. And he turns to Jesus and what does he say? Get away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. 
all of a sudden Peter had a, an enormous revelation of who God was and who he is. There was a, a rugged, well-educated man on his way to Damascus, persecuting the church, bright light shines, first word out of his mouth, Lord. Acts chapter 9. <laughs> Here's a guy persecuting the church, a light shines, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? <laughs> first word out of his mouth, Lord. Who are you? But what about the Apostle John? I'm a huge fan of the Apostle John. Describes himself in his gospel as the one that Jesus loved. Got tickets on himself? Yes. He's the only apostle that will die a natural death at well into his 90s. He will be released from Patmos for those that have read Revelation. He gets released from Patmos, spends his last days ministering in Ephesus. But while he's on Patmos, he, he sees something. For those that followed us through the book of Revelation, for those that, 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 that can remember Revelations chapter 1, we're talking a man that spent three years walking with Jesus side by side, three years walking side by side with Jesus. But in the book of Revelation, in chapter 1, it says, I heard a voice behind me and I turned around to look and I fell down, he says, like a dead man. Three men at the top of Mount of Transfiguration. We could, we could keep going all day. We could talk about three men at the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. They get up there and what happens? Jesus is transfigured, uh, metamorphosed. The only way to describe that is caterpillar and butterfly. All of a sudden, the outward cloak that had hit his glory drops, the curtains pulled back, and they see Jesus in all of his glory. And Peter says exactly what every one of us would have said. Lord, this is good. This is good. Let us build a tent and stay up here. And then a voice speaks and they're all on the ground doing some carpet time until Jesus, it says, touched them and raised them up. What about Isaiah? In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord. And if you read right through that passage, it says, uh, I, he says, I am a man of unclean lips and an angel takes a coal from the altar and touches his mouth so that he can be in the presence of God. And yet we speak of this God as though he's the old man upstairs. What Moses saw was a holy, holy, holy God. When they apply the, just as a digression this morning, you know when they apply the blood of the lamb to the doorposts to protect them, to protect them from who? This God is not to be trifled with. The most fearful thing in the universe is that you will come face to face with a God who spoke the universe into into being, still cloaked in all of your sin. That's the most frightful thing. Moses has a revelation. He puts on the 3D glasses and he falls down. Why? Because he realises, man, I am sinful. And while God is holy, 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 he is trans. Transcendence. Transcendence means an existence or an experience which is beyond the physical. And oh, how I pray that we would have a revelation of that. How I pray that we would live our lives and walk our lives in the transcendence of God and understanding that we experience and we know somebody that is outside the physical. We live in a culture today that defines everything by what we can see and what we can touch. But I like the next one. 
The next one, if we keep reading on, it says, uh, he says, I'm uh, Moses, it says, hid his face for he was afraid. But I love this. Verse seven, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters and I know their sufferings. Verse eight, and I have come down. The second thing that Moses sees is this God who is above us, who is other than us. And the second thing is that he is imminent. It is his imminence, which means it's a condition of being entirely within something. God is above us and God is holy among us. We live in a society today that uh, it's interesting if you, if you walk down the street, pull up 10 people and say, do you believe in God? I'd almost wager a bet that eight or nine will say, yeah, I believe in God. It's what we call deism. Now, deism is, yeah, I believe in God, but I believe in a God that kind of created the world and then left everything to us. It's kind of put, put everything in place and then took off. Well, yeah, we believe in a God, but we can't know this God. He's a distant God and he can never be known. He can never be understood. That's called deism. Theism is... When that God who is apparently a million miles away is right here. He's among us. Have a listen to the words that God says. He says, I have seen. He says, I have heard. I have known. I have come down. God is among us. I shared this, I think, uh, last Sunday night in the Ecclesiastes series. Uh, One quote from an anonymous quote says, uh, an atheist once asked, where is God? To which a believer says, please first tell me where he is not. What I love about God making himself known is when he puts those 3D glasses on, we see a God who is holy, holy, holy. He's other than us, but we see a God who is divinely among us. Through those 3D glasses, we see a God who's doing 10,000 things in our lives, of which, if you're lucky enough, you may be aware of three at any one point in time. It's kind of that wonderful tapestry. We look behind the tapestry and all we see is random threads going all over the place. But when we turn around, we see a beautiful picture unfolding. Quite often, we only see the random chaotic threads at the back. But on the other side, God is weaving your life. He says, I have come down. And we're going to pick up the rest of this next week. But he says, I have come down, listen, to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good land, a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey and no kale. To the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites and a few itchy bites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. This is a God who is other than us. This is a God who is above us. This is a God who is among us. And he can be known. He can be experienced. He can be loved and embraced today. That is our heart here at the Rock Christian Church, that God would use us. The leadership here, our heart as the leadership here, is that God would use us to move every single person up the Mount of Transfiguration to such a point 
point where you will see God in all of his glory, where you will experience this transcendent God and the one that came down to take away all of our sin. Uh, I'm going to ask Stu if he can come and play this morning as we bring this to an end. I I, want to read you a quote uh, this morning from a from the last century's probably greatest theologian, J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God. If this, is, this is in the introduction. So if this is in the introduction, you've got a fair idea of what's going on in the book. But this is a powerful, powerful passage. Let me read it out to you, but you can read it there in your own time. He says, Ignorance of God, ignorance both of his ways and of the practice of communion with him, lies at the root of much of the church's weakness today. The modern way with God is to set him at a distance, if not to deny him altogether. And the irony is that modern Christians, preoccupied with maintaining religious practices in an irreligious world, have themselves allowed God to become remote. Churchmen who look at God, so to speak, through the wrong end of the telescope, so reducing him to pygmy proportions, cannot hope to end up as more than pygmy Christians. Thank you, James Packer. James Packer highlights the one thing that is a detriment to the church today, and that is ignorance. And there is one thing that God is waiting for from each and every one of us that we would turn aside. God is ready to reveal himself to each and every one of us. God desires to make himself known to each one of us. But how often are we all guilty of walking past those burning bushes, walking past the the amount of times God calls us aside, calls us aside. He wants to speak to you. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants you to know this transcendent God, which is above the physical right now. He wants you to know about a God that although it looks like dark days for you, he is right in it bringing you to the place that he's always had for you you know I read these words in verse 8 and it says I have come down and maybe you're sitting here you're saying well I'm waiting for God to move but 2,000 years ago God did just that And maybe you're sitting here this morning going, well, you know what, I'm trying to get my mind around God. Uh, I I want this God to to let me know what he's like. Well, he did that 2,000 years ago. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But how many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, how many of us are deists and not theists? How many of us, yeah, we love God. Yes, we're in a relationship with God, but we think he's a million miles away. We think he can't see what's going on in our lives and, And we think, maybe like Moses did right here, maybe we're thinking God would never use me. That's not the story of Moses. It's not the story of God's people. I remember watching an interview with recent times most antagonistic atheist, a man by the name of Richard Dawkins, who's a naturalist. In the interview, the journalist asked him, What's your problem? What's, what is it with these Christians? Why don't, you just, why don't you just leave them alone? And then the journalist turns around and says, and on top of that, what are you going to do if you're wrong? He says, if you get 
if you die and pass away and and you're standing before God, what's the one question, Richard Dawkins, that you're going to ask God? And I'm going to tell you this morning that Richard Dawkins asked the right question, but it's the wrong person asking it. Richard Dawkins says that he would turn to God and say, why did you go to such enormous lengths to hide yourself? Right question, wrong person. I think God will turn to Richard Dawkins and say, why did you go to such enormous lengths? To hide yourself. Friends, A.W. Tozer says that God is waiting to be wanted. The sad fact amongst the church life is he waits far too long. He waits far too long for us to turn aside. He waits far too long for us to place our attention and our focus on him. I want to urge you today, take my bet. Take my gamble. Turn aside and see what God does. Make time in your morning. Make time wherever it is in your day. Make time for him. Turn aside and see what he does in your life. Maybe today's that decision. We want, to, we want to make the front available. If you want to come up for prayer this morning, we'd love to pray with you this morning. If today's the day you say, Lord, I want to turn aside. Maybe even right where you're seated, you want to say, you know what, God, show me your glory. There's a dangerous prayer. Like that song, it's not enough, Lord, unless you come. It's not enough unless you come. It's not enough unless we taste you, Lord. It's not enough unless we see you, Lord. I don't want to hear about you anymore, Lord. I want to know you. The the book of Job, very deep and very profound. But here's a man that goes through all that suffering. And he gets to the end, chapter 42, verse 5. Job has a lot that he wants to say to God. He's got a lot of questions that he wants to ask God. God asked Job 69 questions, of which science can answer 19 of them today. And, and Job says in verse 5 of chapter 42, he says, Up until now, I had heard of you with the hearing of the ear. He says, But now my eye sees you. What's Job saying? Up until now, I had a head knowledge of you, God, but all of a sudden, you made yourself known to me, and I've got a I've got a heart relationship. Why settle for a distant head relationship with God? Let's pray. Father, I pray that each and every one of us as we leave here today, Lord God, that you would light bushes, Lord God, that we can't ignore. I pray that you would invade the life and the heart of every person in this place. I pray that you would use us to invade the hearts and lives of every person in Brisbane. Father, we pray that you would move in power. Lord, we know that you have come down and we know that you're waiting for us. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us of our ignorance. Forgive us that we have looked at you through the wrong end of the telescope for far too long. I pray that each and every person in this place today would not leave here without turning aside. Jesus, I want to thank you that 2,000 years ago you came down. 
you came down, you revealed the Father to us. Thank you that you're among us. Thank you, Jesus, that because of your completed work, we can now stand before this holy God. Draw every heart in this place closer, I pray. We love you, Lord. God's richest blessings on each of you. If you want prayer this morning, then we'd love to pray with you. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.